Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Morning, everyone. Um, it is my privilege to be on week three of our One Another series. Usually, uh, what we do is Uh, walk through a book in the Bible, but uh, this summer what we've done is just taken a break from what we usually do, and uh, we are walking through what it looks to be, what it looks like to be a faith community that Jesus has called us into. And this morning, we are looking at stirring one another up. Let me pray, and then we will begin. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you that it is your spirit that enlivens us, that enlivens us to it. I want to thank you that it is the power of God and the revelation of God. And I want to pray that as we submit ourselves and as we posture ourselves um, in a, a place of response and learning, that your spirit will teach us what we need to know. Spirit of God, lead us into all truth, I pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to be reading out of the book of Hebrews. Uh, The book of Hebrews was written to a community of people, a church uh, that was predominantly Jewish in their their initial faith, and so they really understood well the pattern of which the Jewish people needed to approach God. And so the writer is writing to them. And actually saying, with the coming of Jesus, Jesus fulfilled the entire law and the prophets. Um, And there is a different and unique way of being able to approach Jesus. And so we pick up in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, and I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and by that he means the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus... And by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So let me stop there and say this. Um, in Before Jesus came, one of the things that you needed to do if you wanted to have access to God through the temple um, was that you needed to come into this place called the outer courts and you needed to wash yourself. And you were not allowed as a Jewish person into the holy place. What would happen is a high priest would go into the holy place on your behalf, uh, and they would carry with them uh, what Hebrews talks about, the blood of goats and sheep, and they would sprinkle that on the altar um, as a way of mitigating your sins. And then only once a year would the high priest go into a place that was called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was uh, an Ark of the Covenant, and in, in, in the Ark of the Covenant, Uh, were the Ten Commandments, or the remainders of the Ten Commandments, and the the staff that bud to prove that Aaron was the high priest. So this was a super, super holy place. It was so scary, in fact, that even though you, you could only go in there once a year, the high priest could only go in there once a year, they would tie a rope to the high priest, and they would have bells on his legs, on his feet, just in case he died because of the presence of God was so overwhelming that they would listen for these bells, and if the bells stopped 
like if they didn't hear the bells anymore, then they would be able at least to pull his dead body out of the Holy of Holies because they didn't want to go in and collect him if he was now dead in the Holy of Holies. So picture that as people are listening to this, especially the Jewish believers are listening to what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and this, this whole sense of awe and fear is what he's speaking into, but this is what he's saying. We have a new and living way that he, Jesus, opened for us through the curtain, and there was this curtain that separated the the holy of holies from the holy place, which was torn on the day that Jesus was crucified, torn from top to bottom, which represented the fact that God kind of came out of this holy place and we had access to him. Let us therefore draw near with a true heart, not a hidden heart, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day nearing or approaching. This passage is one complete thought. We often see it separated in the sense of, okay, this is what the Holy of Holies means now for us, those that have put our faith in Jesus, um, and this is how we are supposed to treat other people. No, it's one complete thought. Because Jesus made a way for us, we have confidence to engage God as Father, but we also have confidence to engage the church as family. This is a consistent pattern throughout all New Testament writings where you will see the writers that are directed by the Holy Spirit to do two things. One, to help us understand who we are, and secondly, what that means for our behavior within the context of a faith community, but also within the world that we're called to reach. What is our individual response to this? Well, our individual response is a posture of humble confidence and boldness. About a year ago, um, John Mark got us um, all access passes to a Chargers game. That meant we could go anywhere. We could go on the field. We even managed to go into the trucks that were uh, presenting the, you know, that were putting the presentation together. We could go anywhere in the stadium with a little problem, though. We didn't have seats. So even though we could go anywhere, we didn't have assigned seats. And so... Those of you that know John Mark and will know me will know that someone had humble confidence and someone had boldness. (laughs) We try and figure out who those were. It's going to be difficult, right? And I'm like, this is awesome. We can sit where we want. So we go down to the prime seats. These are seats that cost hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars. And we sit down there. And John Mark is like looking around like, can we sit here? I'm like, we have the all-access pass. We can sit wherever we want to. He's like, but maybe, I said, we'll just get up. If someone comes and says, these are my seats, we'll just get up. And what happened? Someone came and said, these are my seats. And then we moved on to another one. There was a humble confidence and a boldness. Now, poor John Mark, when he stands up, it's not like, have you ever seen John Mark try and be like little, right? I mean, he's almost seven foot. But there's a sense in which When we are called to come into the presence of God, we have been given all access. There's a sense in which 
we know that we belong, and not because of anything we've done, but because everything has been taken care for us. And so it's not this arrogance that we walk in with, like I deserve to be here, but there's this humble confidence that I have what is necessary to be here. The scripture continues and says we are to draw near with a genuine heart, no hiding, because our hearts have been cleansed by his blood, and that refers to communion, and our bodies have been washed by the pure water, which refers to our baptism. Now, church, the extent to which we are boldly confident in the finished work of Christ will materially affect our desire and ability to consider one another, to stir one another, and to encourage one another. Our corporate response needs to be this. In everything that we have received, consider one another. I just find it so interesting that as as the writer of Hebrews is saying, guys, understand what you have the boldness and confidence to walk into, the very next sentence is, consider one another. And the word consider there is not a like, hmm, kind of, uh, let me just think about this. The word consider there means to direct one's whole mind to an object. It means to really think about one another in order to stir one another to love, to good deeds, and to encourage one another. So this morning, what we're looking at is the idea that in order to consider, or to consider and stir one another up, we need to be known, we need to be loved, and we need to be challenged. Now, I've used this quote before, and often in the context of marriage relationships, but it's a quote by Keller who says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, it humbles us out of self-righteousness, and it fortifies, fortifies us for a difficult life or for any difficulty life can throw at us. So let's look at the idea of being known. The first and most important thing is that we are to be known by God. Now you might say to me, but Nick, doesn't God know everything? Uh, Doesn't he have all knowledge? And yes, but we need to understand and place our minds in, in the role of being able to respond to this knowledge that God has of us. While we were still sinners, God pursued us and transformed us into his sons and daughters. He knew who we were then, and he knows who we are now. Now, those of you that have had maybe massive changes in your life, how many of you are in a place where you're like, I hope no one ever finds out that I did that? God knows that. Or you're in a place even this week or today where you did something, and you're like, I hope nobody knows about that. God knows about that. And you know what? His affection and commitment to you is completely unchanged. Let us draw near with a true heart, not a hidden heart, in full assurance of faith. What does that mean? Let us draw near with a true heart is our responsibility to come before God and to empty our soul before God. It's one of the things that we are called to do consistently through the Psalms. And it's not because God doesn't know us, but because it is good for us. 
to say to God, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what I've done. Now remember, there is a difference between a tantrum and a lament. As we were going through COVID, uh, I preached on how to lament well versus how to throw a tantrum. And I was throwing tantrums left, right, and center. And God said to me, that is not a lament. A lament is coming before me and recognizing the fact that your life is not planning or going the way that you planned it, that things are not working out, that you're in a lot of pain and hurt. But a lament is actually recognizing the fact that in the midst of all of this darkness, God is still present. We need to build safe and brutally honest relationships with our God. When I was in seminary, my professor said that, that swearing is holy language before God. And not at each other, but there's a sense in which, and I'm not, I'm not telling you to swear, I'm just saying that there's a level of honesty that a lot of us are not used to engaging our Father in. And because we aren't used to engaging God in that level of honesty, what happens is we're not honest with ourselves, and we end up with a hidden heart, and so we can't present our true selves to God. We're presenting our hidden heart to God. We don't want to be known because the reality is, is that we're afraid of what people will do if we are known. But this is the truth. The reason we don't want to be known or we are so wounded by the response of others is that we've pursued being known by others as a replacement for being known by God rather than a compliment. And so we are wounded because we've like, but Nick, I've made myself vulnerable. Nick, I've pursued relationships with others, but, but it, that, that has been a primary thing rather than pursuing the one in whom there is no shadow of turning and as a secondary outcome, pursuing and knowing those that are in our community. A person who is known by God is always in a better place to be able to navigate the risks of being known by others, because there are risks. But I can say this, God will never embarrass you or be embarrassed by you. God will never abuse your trust, and he will never take what you have given him and use it against you. Yesterday, we had our fantasy football draft, and for the three of you who know what that is, and so, so one of the things you do is you pick players that you want to be on your team, and so one of the things that I did unknowingly was I said, man, I really like this player, and Costell picked him before I could pick him, and he used my openness and vulnerability against me. <laughs> Okay, this is a bit of a joke, but the reality is we've been there. We've been in places where we've been open and we've had that used against us. And the thing that we do is we say, I will never do that again. But what God calls us to is, my son, I will never do that to you. I'm never going to be embarrassed by you. I will never embarrass you. I will never use those things against you. And so our call before we can be known and loved by others to be known and loved by God only God can heal your soul from, from the betrayal that you have suffered in your attempt to be known and loved by others. Being loved and accepted has to start with being known. And that starts with being vulnerable and open and inviting. 
If you're not known, then how can people help you? How can they help you with your struggles? How can they encourage you in your calling? And how can they celebrate your value? You know, even uh, the secular prophets in our world are saying there's a problem with being truly known. Have you guys heard of something called Be Real? Right? Yes, okay. Yes. The Gen Zers and the Millennials know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you that don't, it's like a, a version of Instagram, but this is the exact difference. It means you show your friends who you really are for once by removing filters and opportunities to stage, overthink, or edit your photos. So even the secular prophets are saying there's something wrong with this image that we place out there. It's our properly curated image. And so I was putting a cabinet together with, uh, with Fallon, and her phone goes ding, and then she picks up the phone, she takes a photo of us, I'm like, what are you doing? She says, it's for my be real. Like, at a certain moment of the day, you take a photo of yourself, unfiltered, unedited, and you post it to your followers. Let me say this, if, if our secular prophets are saying there's something wrong with the way in which we curate our image, then certainly within the context of a faith community, maybe the same thing is happening. And maybe we need a version of that app to say, this is who I really am. Now, all the introverts are starting to shrivel right now. And they're like, oh no, this is not good for me. Let me say this with introverts and extroverts. If you're an introvert, you still need people. Less people, <laughs> I get it. And less time with people, I get it. But you still need people because you were created for relationship. Extroverts, on the other hand, you don't need that many people. <laughs> I'm talking to myself all the time, okay? Because part of the extrovert's challenge is to be known and loved by God. Part of the introvert's challenge is to be known and loved by others. And so we've got to draw that together in the context of our community. Adam had the purest and complicated relationship with God. He walked with God in the garden, and God said, it is not good that Adam is alone. Now, this is not just exclusively a marriage issue. People need people. It's in our design. This is not about being incomplete if you're not married, because there is a measure of incompleteness that every human being will go through, married or not, if they're not known, loved, and challenged by others. If we're to be known by others, we need to acknowledge the mistakes that we have made in the pursuit of being known and loved by others. We need to be wise. Not everyone is a safe place. And just because there's been pain doesn't mean that everyone is going to give you that same kind of pain. Be wise. I listen for these words when, when I'm trying to figure out if, there's a safe, if this person is safe. If I hear them talk about someone else that I know, I just mark it off, not safe. Because I don't know that they're not going to talk about me in the same way. And so there are ways that we can be wise about being known. We can model appropriate vulnerability based on our relationship and trust that we have with each other. And this is where, where oversharing can sometimes actually have the opposite effect. Because for someone that's an oversharer, there, there is always that person that is a little like less likely to share, and then they hear the oversharer, and they're like, I do not want to be like that. 
And so it doesn't always help. What we've got to model within the context of our community are appropriate ways of vulnerability. You can't just jump in to being known and loved. Karen and I took a group of um, literally um, juvenile delinquents. They were all incarcerated. And we took them, it was fun for me. And, um, and we took them on a five-day hike. And we got to this pool and, um, and the kids wanted to jump off. And I wanted to jump off, truth be told, too. But what I, what I needed to do was actually dive down and see how deep it was so that no one would hurt themselves. And so being known and loved within the context of communities, we need to take time to dive down and see, are there jagged rocks that are going to hurt me as I jump off this way of being known and loved? Being known and loved and getting to know one another requires presence. Verse 25 says, do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we are not going to be known and loved unless we are physically present. Literally, we are in a space where someone can know us. That means in the context of a gathering, in your group of friends, within a life group. We're also not going to be known and loved unless we are emotionally present, unless we are there with our hearts and actually open to other people. And we're not going to be known and loved unless we are spiritually present. God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you doing? God, how do you want to use me? And so the whole idea of being known and loved without being present is something that just can't happen. And I think we're recognizing that as we've gone through these last two years of cyber knowledge. So to be known, to be loved, We've spoken about this. The underlying foundation of the one another's is love one another. Uh, love one another is basically all the one another's that we're going through. As we commit to doing them, that is how we love one another. And I want to say to the, the level to which you are known is the level to which you will be loved. And so if you are only known a little bit, you will only experience being loved a little bit. Now again, I'm talking about human beings. I'm not talking about God. We need to extend the same grace that we would like to receive from one another. Because loving one another means deciding whether we are going to bear with one another or whether we're going to forgive one another. And Sean's going to uh, deal with forgiving one another. Apparently, a lot of people have to forgive Sean. So, no. That's, actually, I gave that one to him. So, you know. But loving one another means deciding whether we're going to bear with and or forgive one another as opposed to ignoring or cutting off relationships with one another. So let's get to the challenging part of today, to be challenged. You know, the word challenge has lost its original intent. The word challenge now has simply come to mean oppose. I'm against what you're doing. Initially, challenge was like a dare, you know. I challenge you to do this. You know, Neil has had uh, healthy eating challenges. You know, this is going to be good for you, but it's going to be hard for you. I mean, not only has the word challenge kind of lost its original meaning, but the word warn has, I warn you, warn, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> however I would say that, warn. Um, it's grown in negativity. Just the idea of like, I'm warning you, you're already like this, Right? But warn means that 
I'm trying to prevent you from hurting yourself. I'm trying to prevent you from being in a dangerous situation. I'm trying to help you see something that you haven't seen. These are all Bible words, to be challenged, to be warned. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And that word there in the Greek means to sharpen, to spur, to provoke, to incite. It's a strong word. It's intentional. It's bold. There are other places in the New Testament where Paul writes to the Colossian church, and he says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's the same word that's used in Romans 15, verse 14, where Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct. That word is warn, admonish one another. Now, Paul is talking to the Romans after he's saying, guys, you've got to come to a place of agreement. He's talking about, like, you're worried about what he eats, and she's worried about this festival, and you've got to come to an agreement about what are disputable matters. And he says to them, you are able to instruct, to warn one another. The English translations either soften or merge these three different words that are used in the Greek New Testament to admonish, to teach, and to encourage. Now, biblically, we are called to do all three, and biblically, we are called to respond to all three in the context of a faith gathering. To admonish, as I said, means to warn. To teach literally means to show someone how to do something. And to encourage is not a like, there, there. To encourage means to add courage to someone. That's literally what the word encourage means, to add courage to someone. I love this, to call someone to oneself, to remind someone of who they are. That's how we encourage one another. We are called to do all three. Now, this is not opposed to what I spoke about last week, where the idea of sitting with people in their pain, not necessarily saying anything, but, but we can say this, and this is true, more hugs less words, but this is not true. More hugs, no words. That's not true. It's not true biblically, and it actually doesn't help anybody. Yes, more hugs, less words. Not more hugs, no words. And church, this is not a call to be a policeman. This is not a call to get involved in everyone's life and fix everything. Jesus has a lot to say about that. But this is a call to be known, to be loved, and to be challenged. So how do we know when I should stir or spur or challenge someone? Well, I think we've covered it. The first most important thing is, do I know this person? And do I sacrificially love this person? If you can answer yes, honestly to those things, then you go to question two. Is there a bridge of relationship that is strong enough to hold the weight of this truth? Now, this is an old kind of metaphor, but the idea is this. Between where you are and what you want to say, there is a bridge of relationship. Now, if you don't know someone very well, that bridge is flimsy. And so if you're going to carry a heavy weight of truth across that, what will happen? The bridge will break and you'll lose that relationship. And so you've got to ask yourself, God, you've got to ask God for the wisdom to say, Father, is my bridge of relationship with this person strong enough to handle this truth? Because ultimately, once that relationship is broken, it's going to take a long time to repair that. 
If you want to bring a heavy truth across a bridge that is flimsy, what do you do? This is not a trick question. You build that bridge. You strengthen that relationship. Thirdly, have I looked internally first? Oftentimes, when something bugs us about someone, it's because there's something that is similar to us in that person. Or it is the complete opposite. So for example, I am bugged by the fact that you like blue stuff because I always like green stuff. Let me, let me use another example because that's very vague. If I'm a person that is, Karen, uh, we're talking about this in terms of challenging. If I'm a person that's used to being bold and challenged, then I don't find bold and challenging people um, to be that difficult because it's part of my nature. But I find people that never respond or never engage to be difficult. And so that's what I'm saying by looking internally. We're not always thinking, is, is this like me? But we're saying, is this bugging me about that person because there's something that I need to look at? Luke 6, verse 41, a very, very familiar passage. Why do you see the splinter in your brother or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? And so what we do is most of us use that verse to say this, leave me alone. I don't want to hear what you have to say because you all got problems yourself, okay? That's not what that scripture is about. As we continue to read, how can you say to your brother or sister, brother, sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when you don't see the log in your own eye. You deceive yourselves. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly what? to take the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. What Jesus is saying there is not that we should just leave people alone and let them suffer in their sin and patterns. What Jesus is saying is make sure you look internally first so that the way that you're viewing your brother and sister is accurate. Because often when we look at ourselves first and we say to the Spirit of God, can you deal with me first? You know what sometimes what happens? I don't think they have a splinter. I think I have a log. And once I've pulled that out, I can see more accurately, and that's not about them at all. That's about me. Now, there's still this responsibility to actually be able to call that out. About 10 years ago, um, Brian Barr and I decided that we were going to install a projector mount, and it was about this tall. And we had one ladder, and we extended it as far as we could, and we leaned it up against there, and we put the box up, and the projector was overheating, and so we needed to drill holes into the side of the projector. And so I was on the ladder, and I'd grabbed the side of the ladder, and I had the drill on this side, and I was drilling in this way. The box was right over here. Drilling, and I literally got a splinter in my eye. And as I got it, I dropped the drill, I almost killed Brian, and I came down from there, and every time I blinked, I could feel that there was a splinter in my eye. Now, I'm, I'm saying that to say this, I was very, very aware that I needed help. It had just happened, this thing was in my eye, every time I blinked, I could feel it. But there are times when we are not aware that we have a splinter. 
I mean, let me finish the story. I went to an, an optometrist, and he said, yeah, you got a nice wooden splinter in there, and it was weird. He had this thing that like, just kept my eye open, and then he reached in there and pulled the splinter out. I was so grateful. Never have I thought about the joy of blinking without pain. It was just a phenomenal thing. But in that moment, what I realized is like, of course I have a splinter, I need to get it removed. A lot of us are moving around life with splinters in our eyes, not recognizing that we have them. Sometimes it's the pain of relationships that makes us realize that we have those, those splinters. So how do I know when I should stir or challenge? Do I know this person? Do I love this person? Is there a bridge of relationship that can bear the weight of truth? Have I looked internally first? And then lastly, is this a sin or a wound? Is this person dealing with a sin or a wound? Darren Patrick puts it this way, we often get sins and wounds confused. Sins are rebellious places in the heart that need repenting. Wounds are tender places in our hearts that need healing. You cannot repent of wounds and you cannot go to therapy for sins. You cannot repent of wounds and you cannot go to therapy for sins. This is one of the areas that I find, particularly nowadays, we, we mix that up all the time. And so the question we've got to ask, not only internally, when we're, when we're dealing with our own maturity, is God, is this a wound or a sin? Now, this is where we can help each other because there are those in our community that have very sensitive consciences, right? And there are those that have seared consciences. And so when we're asking, is this a sin or a wound, we've got to ask this question, God, is this an injury? Has this person suffered this, not because of their own fault, just something has happened and they've become wounded? You deal with that differently, right? Is this a result of iniquity? They're all eyes. So that's why iniquity is sin or failure, okay? Is this a result of iniquity? In other words, they have sinned, and as a result, the consequence of their sin has led to pain or hurt. Or is this just an area of immaturity? They're not pursuing sin. They're not choosing to do anything wrong, but they're just immature. They just need help. They're young in their faith, and they just need help on this road. Or is this just an area of identity? They are behaving this way because they don't know who they are. And so as we ask this question, it's, it's a great question to even ask about what's happening in your own life. God, is this an injury? Is this an area of iniquity? Is this an area of immaturity? Or is this an area of identity? And when we ask that, this is the next thing, guys. God, help me to check my motive for speaking to this person. Please help me with my method how am I going to do this? Not by email, not by text, not on Instagram or Facebook. I can tell you that's how not to do it. You ask God for the wisdom in terms of how to do it, but that's how not to do it, okay? So God, what is my motive? What is my method? And then Jesus, help me to pick the right moment. I cannot tell you how many times I'm just about to get up to preach and someone comes up and lays a heavy on me. Boom. Now, I know we can't talk about this now. Well, why did you bring it up now? 
if you know you can't talk about this now because I'm going to have to come up and preach and I'm thinking about this thing that you just said. Wrong moment. Are they absolutely right? Does this need to be talked about? Have you chosen the right method? Is your motive right? And you can blow the whole thing up by bad timing. Motive, method, moment. Now, finally, how do I receive a challenge? So even if you have answered, so you're receiving the challenge now, if someone knows you and loves you and has a bridge of relationship and has looked internally and has correctly identified whether this is a sin or a wound, we still get wounded, right? We still, because we are defensive, insecure human beings. If that's true, how much truer would it be if they don't know you, if they don't love you, if they're not mature, if they don't have that bridge of relationship, this is the problem. It doesn't matter whether this person has been all of those things, whether they've been hurtful or mean-spirited, our responsibility is to go before Jesus and say, that really hurt. But God, is there even a kernel of truth in what that person is saying? Because if there is, then I know you will show that to me. So our initial response is just to reject all of it. And you must reject shame, and you must reject guilt, and you must answer those questions about that person that is coming to you. But ultimately know this, because you are known and loved by God, He will be kind to you, and He will reply in your answer to that question, is there a kernel of truth to that? Mark 10, verse 21, we know the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus, where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, well, have you fulfilled the commands? And he says, yes, I filled them, fulfilled them. But in Mark 10, 21, Jesus looks at him carefully and loves him. He looked at him carefully. He knows who he is and he loved him. And he said, you are lacking one thing. Go and sell what you own, give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But the man was dismayed at the statement and he went away saddened because he had many possessions. Now the point of this is not that we all follow Jesus by getting rid of our physical possessions. The point of this is that Jesus knew this man. He knew that that's what had a grip on him. He loved him and because of that he said, and this is what you need to release. And the bad news is that we don't know. We know that he walked away in that moment. We don't know whether he ever came back. But we know that Jesus consistently knows and loves and challenges us. And we know that he does that through his word. We know that he does that even through the worship songs that we sing. Sometimes we don't even look at the words. But when we think about it, we're like, I don't know that I think about you like that. I don't know that I feel like that about you. We are challenged by those things. We're challenged by leaders. We're challenged by friends. We're challenged even in our times of prayer. If we're open and we say, God, you know me. You love me, you are for me. And anything you say to me will be for my ultimate benefit. Jesus consistently challenged his disciples. Bands, you can come up. There's not a man that has ever walked this earth that is the personification of love. But man, would he drill down to the real thing in your heart. Two disciples are walking along. Hey, when we come into the kingdom, I'm going to be on the left, and you're going to be on the right. No, I'm going to be on the right, and you're going to be on the left. Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? 
This is not the kind of ambition you should be pursuing. Who is my mother and father? Who are your mother and father? Those who do the will of my heavenly father. Jesus was consistent in challenging priorities, family relationships, work, behavior, reasoning, lack of faith. Oh, you of little faith. But I do know this. Not a single person that ever came into contact with Jesus felt unloved. And yet everyone that came into contact with him felt challenged. Why? Because the level of knowledge that Jesus has and the level of love that he has for us is unlike anything. Mercy Commons, can we posture ourselves in a way that's easier to be stirred? To be known, loved, and not challenged is to remain comfortable and stuck in our patterns of sin. Can we take steps to invite, firstly, God with open access into our lives? Can we be intentional in knowing one another, sacrificial in loving one another, and wise and sensitive as we spur one another on? And may we never let incorrect, clumsy, or retaliatory um, ways of challenging us ever affect our view of Jesus. Let's take seriously the invitation to be known and be known, to love and be loved, to challenge and be challenged. Most importantly, let's challenge the lies of this world. Let's challenge the lies of our flesh. Let's challenge the lies of our enemy. Let's encourage each other with our unshakable reality that we are held in the grip of his grace, that you are chosen, you are predestined, you are rescued, you are redeemed, you've been adopted into the family of God, you are seated in heavenly places with him. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, you are the temple of God, you are filled with all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You are his children. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your phenomenal pursuing grace. I want to thank you that while we were still sinners, you pursued us. I want to thank you that there is not any hidden area of my life that you don't know about intimately. And your love for me is unaffected by that. But I want to thank you, God, that your love is so strong for me that you want me to live in freedom and you want me to live in joy and you want me to live in the light. And so God, I pray right now, I pray for our community that we would be open, most importantly, to being known and loved and challenged by you. Those hidden areas of our heart, God expose them. And I wanna pray God that we would be a community that so loves one another, that we would seek to be known and then we would seek to be a community where we welcome the spurring, the stirring, and the challenging of each other. God, in the name of Jesus, help us to live a life worthy of the call that we have received. Help us to live like confident sons and daughters of the living God. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Nick. Maddie, are you, are you here somewhere? Yeah, there you are. Come on, come on up. Um, we are, we're going to take communion. Um, Maddie had shared something at pre-gathering prayer that uh, I felt was pertinent to, pertinent to us. And um, love for her to share that. So this morning, uh, James is on logistics, and I was just sitting in the car. 
Um, so I um, was just going through this book that we have called New Morning Mercies. Highly recommend it. Um, and it was talking about mercy and mercy being new every morning. And um, then in the pre-service prayer, Nick was talking about um, the throne, God's throne. And I was really just struck by um, God's mercy being so, so wonderful that he is so faithful, that he is so trustworthy, that it's not, it doesn't matter where we are in our lives. It doesn't matter if we have been distant from God, if we have abandoned God, if God is, if we, if God has never been in our lives, it doesn't matter where we are. We don't approach the throne with joy because of where we have been or because of what we have done or our own faithfulness, our own trustworthiness, but it's because of who God is. We approach it with joy because God is trustworthy. He is merciful. He is full of joy as you approach him. And it has nothing to do with who you are. You, speaking of being known and loved, you are fully known and fully loved. And because of that, we can approach the throne with joy. Thank you. We, uh, we get an opportunity, as we do every week, to come to the table. And um, just piggybacking off of what Maddie said, you know, this act, act of communion was uh, a meal that Jesus, uh, Jesus entered into with a table full of dear friends that absolutely abandoned him. <laughs> and he knew, he knew that. He knew that. There was a betrayer that he still loved, washed his feet. Uh, Peter, who cursed that he didn't even know him. And the same Jesus, after all of this, fix the guy's breakfast in John 20 on the, after he was raised from the dead. So this is an opportunity to open yourself up to God to be known. He already knows. He already knows you. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a couple of people here. There's going to be people to my left, to your right, that are willing and wanting and available to pray for you. Um, there's two things. There's some people that maybe have been cowering, you, you, you don't know if you can really trust God with whatever the thing is that you're holding on to. This is an opportunity this morning to come to the table to exchange that. He already knows you. Be known by him. Receive what he has done for you. It only magnifies him. It only magnifies him. Um, and then for others that maybe maybe you you are in a life group, maybe there's something that you need to you need to confess, you need to share, you need to risk being known to be uh, to to receive uh, to receive the community praying for you, knowing you, encouraging you. Uh, and so, if there's anything that you need prayer for, whether it's something you want to confess or it's something you're struggling with or you're afraid of or whatever, there's going to be people to my left, to your right that are available to demonstrate literally what Nick just preached about this morning. So I'm going to release you to grab the elements. There's a table here in the back. And there's two, one on the side and one to the left. Um, and we're going to come back to, uh, come back to our seats. Uh, and we're going to take communion together. Uh, we're going to take communion together. And then we're going to have people available, available for prayer. So go ahead and grab the elements and come back. At church, we, uh, we hold the bread and the cup in our hands and 
we get the opportunity to, uh, to, to take this. I just want to remind us of something else that the writer of Hebrews said. Uh, for those who need to hear this, we all need to hear this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne, the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We get to come to this. We take the bread that, was, that represents the body that was broken for us. We take this in full assurance of faith and remembrance of him. And in the same way, we take the cup, the cup that represents the shed blood for the forgiveness of our sin. And we thank, Father, we thank you for the gift that you have given to us. This, this freedom that you have given to us. We remember what you have done for us in forgiving us of our sin. And we approach you and we receive this with confidence in who you are. And we thank you. The band is going to continue to play. I'm going to draw us to an official close. It's about five minutes after. You can go grab your kids. But listen, if you need prayer, don't leave here today without receiving prayer. Maybe there's something that, like I said, you need encouragement. There's maybe something you, you want to risk and share and, and receive, receive from the church to, to, to come around you, the grace that you need in time of need. For the rest of us, we're going to actually, actually be out back with coffee, donuts, etc. We'd love to say hi. But the rest of us, go and, uh, go and be the church. We love you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.